Thank you. Thank you very, 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 very much. I'm excited to be here today. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and what? And be glad in it. So um, this morning, our, um, the message is on the prisoners of hope. And I know that that sounds just a, a little negative sometimes. You think of prisoners being negative. But prisoners can be very positive as well. Paul, in his writing, even talked about being a prisoner of the Lord, uh, even being a slave of the, of the Lord's. I, th- I feel like that when he captures our hearts, we're forever a prisoner of his. And it's, it's, it's good to have a hope that we're a prisoner to that particular hope. Because we're prisoners of the hope, the hope is what will get us what will get us through. Now, I know we have all kinds of seasons in our lives. We have football season, basketball season, <laughs> flu season, spring, fall, winter, and summer. But there's really only two kinds of seasons, the kind that we like and the kind that we don't like. And sometimes we're going through the seasons that we don't like and we don't quite understand them. So let's read this passage together or you can read it overhead. In verse number 11, he says, As for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today, I declare that I will restore double to you. Now, to get a little background on this passage of Scripture, in, in, this one, in this one chapter, we find a strong messianic prophetic direction in it. Because he's talking about Israel and how the things that they're going through are going to come to an end. How that God is going to bring freedom to them. How he's going to end war. How he's going to deal with the neighbors around them all prophetic. And then in the, in the middle of the chapter, he even, he even talks about the king is going to come in on a donkey to Jerusalem, which we find in Matthew chapter 21 is the triumphal uh, picture of Jesus Christ entering Jerusalem. In Matthew, 500 years later, this prophetic word has to do with the coming of Jesus. Now, it had been, it had been prophesied before by others. Other uh, means and other ways and other words talking about, but about the Messiah coming. They're looking for a king. They're looking for someone who will change their government in such a way and the governments of the nations that they will be like the nation and the king and that they will have peace forever. They're looking for, for this to come and it hasn't come yet. And the nation is in sort of a bad way right now. Things are not good. There's a lack of food, the enemy on every side, and all of this is happening. And so whenever you get to this, he says, and as for you, talking about the people, you've got to understand something. As for you, I, the Lord, he talks about, am going to set the prisoner free. He said, because of the blood of your covenant, I will not let you down. I will set the prisoners free from the waterless pit. And when we begin to talk about the pit, the waterless pit, There's only one other time in Scripture that a waterless pit or a dry pit is mentioned in the Old Testament. 
And that was the dry pit that Joseph was put in. Now you say, oh, but I know some others that were put in pits. Yeah, Jeremiah, but that was a miry pit. It meant the bottom of it was a, a little soggy and a little wet. But this pit was dry. And I, I like that. I, like, I don't like it, but I, I, I do like the word picture of it, that, that when it's, uh, you're in a pit, they use pits for prisoners. They use pits to put people in that you can't get out. It means a pit that is cut off. It means a pit that you're alone. It means a pit where there is no hope. And there was no hope in, in this particular pit for them. So he said it's a waterless pit because uh, there's, there's a dryness that they couldn't get away from. And, and I feel like that today that there are people who are believers, like they were, they were the children of God and yet they were in this waterless pit I feel like that there are people of God today, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who love him, who they really do love him with all of their heart. We're just not totally grown up yet. We're not totally matured. We're not, we're not totally free in some areas, and I don't know that we ever will be totally free until the last is death is conquered and Jesus returns. But we can come to a place of maturity where we have freedom in our lives and we can enjoy life. Life is happy. Life is good. Life is strong. You know what I'm talking about. That's what we all want. But I know that many of us in, in, the, in the body of Christ find ourselves in a pit for one reason or another. Maybe, maybe you've had a problem at work and uh, you come home down, mad at someone, Maybe someone betrayed you. I, ha I had one of those times as a believer. Um, I've had more times that I could have gotten that way, but I didn't. But one time was bad. In 1999, I'd been pastoring Shady Grove Church for, well, we, we founded it in 1974. 1975, this is 1999, man, everything was going smooth. People were getting saved, people being baptized in the Holy Spirit, people were getting free and set free. I mean, the deliverance ministry was busy, and it was, we had missionaries going out, and, and we, were reaching, we were reaching the lost in the community and training leaders and just everything you can imagine. It was just so exciting. And... My wife said, you've got to go to the doctor because I, I thought I had an ulcer. I went to the doctor. doctor said, uh, I don't want to give you any ulcer medicine. Let's try out my new um, EKG machine. It's new. I just want to try it out. Well, he tried it out, and he said, well, I must not have it balanced right. Let's run another take. Well, it shook a little bit. Let's run another take. I ended up in the cardiologist's office. I ended up in the hospital. I ended up with a quadruple bypass, 1999, January. A quadruple bypass, I came, I came out of there so weak that I couldn't even hold my arms up to wash my hair. I had to sit down in the shower to take a shower. I remember the doctor saying to me, whatever you do whenever you get home, don't stay in bed. If nothing else, get up and go sit in your chair. But get out of bed, take a shower, and sit in your chair. But then as soon as you can, I want you to walk. I measured the inside of her house. It was in, it was in winter. 
Now we're in February of 99. And I measured the inside of her house the best that I could, around in each bedroom, around through each bathroom, all down the hallway, around through the family room, upstairs and back down, and then my study, and then through the, through the kitchen, through the living room, and, 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 and I, I made a complete circle. I knew how many feet it was. I knew how far a quarter of a mile was, how far a half a mile was, how many times I had to go around to do that, estimated anyway, approximately. And so yeah, I, I started around it. It's pretty easy the first five times around, and I, and I would just I would add a little bit each day, and 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 I would I would I would it got so many I would take beans and put in put in my pocket, and I'd pass by the dining room table and I'd take a bean out and put it there. And when my pocket was empty, I'd walked all the circles I was supposed to walk. And then it got warm enough where I could go outside and I, I walked to the fire hydrant and then I'd walk to the corner and then I'd walk, walk around the block. And the next thing you know, I was walking, but I was walking mad. I was angry. I thought, God, I've done everything I know to do. My heart has been as right as I know it could have been. And, and everything was going good. And then all of a sudden, bam! And I'm sidelined for a season. I was hurting. You know, I couldn't hear God during that time. I didn't want to. I was in a pit. Until I could come to the place where I realized it wasn't God. I realized that I was living in a fallen world. I realized that in this fallen world, the enemy takes advantage of things in our lives and it wasn't God at all. But I didn't know that for a long time. I was just, God, you could have done better than this. And I was hurting over it. And believe me, I feel for people in this auditorium right now that You've got things that's been going on in your life. Something that has happened. Someone betrayed you. Someone at work has been giving you a hard time and you have avoided a promotion that you, you thought you were supposed to have. You were promised it. Someone's lost someone in the room, an accident. A spouse has passed on, and sometimes husbands and wives get so angry, angry with them for going. You ever heard that? Angry because they went. Angry with God. They're not around anymore. And all of these things can get you in a pit. Even our attitudes, self-reliance, I can do it myself. I don't need God. And we're, we, we're, we really don't tell God we don't need him. It's just that we, we can do it. We can handle it. And we get self-reliant. No need for the Lord. We come to a place where we have pride in our lives. And we think, hey, man, I, you know, every, when I walk in the room, everybody's looking at me. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the stuff. On and on, these things can, can, can build a distance between us and the Lord, and we find ourselves in this pit. We, we, know, we know that something is wrong. We know we're dry. 
We, we know that I'm not, we're not hearing God. We know that when we open the Bible, it's not saying what I want it to say. I'm not hearing what I want to hear. It's not coming alive like I know it should come alive to me. I, I am there in that hole, and I can't get out, and we can't get out on our own. He had to be pulled out by a rope. Jesus was in a, in a dry pit in the New Testament, and he had to be pulled out of that pit with a rope. We can't get out on our own. We want to blame someone. Surely someone is is at fault. You know, we just get a spirit of blame. You know what I'm talking about? It's not that we'll just look over something. We, we should just be able to look over it and say, oh, well, hey, you know what? It's not worth fretting about. It's not worth getting upset about or anything else. But we do. And when we do, our spirit is messed with and we, we move a distance from the Lord and, and, and we're back, we're in the pit again. You know, I, I learned something from my wife. My wife's really good at this about blaming you know who the original blame was? <laughs> Adam was the original blamer. My wife, my wife did it. She's helped me out in this area a whole lot because I was a blamer. Anything go wrong? Who left a nail in the road and my tire's flat? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Why did that happen? I'm in a hurry. So one, one time the grandkids were over at the house. When they, I wasn't there, but when I left, I came in, came back in, and Sybil had had fun with them all day, and one, one corner of the bed was broken, I mean the leg. And I said, Sybil, what is this? Why, why that? Oh, she said the grandkids were here. They were probably trampolining on the bed. I said, what? Why? What are you talking about? Who, which one? Who did it? I want to know. And Sybil said to me, I remember first time she said it, the question is not who, not why, it's not how. The question is, what do I do about it now? The question is what? You can't back up and redo it. What do we do now? It's done. Get over it. Fix it up. Let's move on. But oftentimes we don't do that. You know, my wife and I, we, got, we were in a sock crisis. I was in a sock crisis. <laughs> I wore patterned socks, you know, and I, I loved patterned socks. And I'd buy patterned socks, matching, you, you know. And I promise you, that this went on not for months. This went on for a whole year, maybe more than a year. It got so bad, I really got a bad attitude towards Sybil because I would give her a pair of socks, Put them in the, I would put them in the dirty clothes. I knew they were there. But when she got them out of the washer and started drier and started folding them up, she said, honey, you're missing some socks. I said, no, I'm not missing any socks. I put all of the socks in the dirty clothes. Now, you did something with them. <laughs> I know you did because they, they, I wouldn't have them right now. I, I know I put them in there. And she said, well, I put in the washing machine what was in the, ba- in the basket. And I said, then the washing machine must be eating socks. <laughs> it got so bad 
Now, I knew a little bit about repairing washing machines. I did some of that earlier in my life. I, I, I even took the, the washing machine, pulled it out from its place, and tore it down. I, I opened it up. I pulled the panels off of it. I, I thought the pump, the water pump, has eaten my socks. It's gone down the hole. It's something, somewhere, I don't know. But it was Sybil's fault. It had to be her fault. And I couldn't find my sock. I had a really bad attitude about it. And it was like one day the Lord said to me, so, um, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know, Lord. He said, why why don't you just try wearing what you got? I said, but they don't, they don't match. So? I said, people think I'm silly. So? Okay. I started wearing socks. I remember the first day I put on one pattern over here. I put, it happened to be I had a solid. I put a solid over here. And I, 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 after that, it was no problem. I just laid it down. And, and guess what? Honestly, you're going to think I'm crazy when I tell you this, but my time with the Lord was sweeter after that. <laughs> Can you believe that? It was sweeter. And I didn't have any problems after that. And, and you know, to this day, I still lose socks. <laughs> huh? 30 years later, we've been married 58 years. And we... <laughs> <laughs> and all, all these years, it just doesn't matter anymore. It's not worth the effort. It's not worth the issue. Man, I want to walk. I want to hear God. I want to walk with Him. So we find ourselves in these pits just because of some of these, sometimes things that we can't control, other things that we can control. But in, e- in, either, kind, in, in either way, we need to say, hey, you know what? I want to get the most out of this thing. I don't want to waste this difficulty. I want to learn what it is that God wants me to learn in the midst of it. I remember a pastor years ago, and I'm, I'm not, when I tell you this, that I want to re- re- reword what he said, but I want to quote him first. He said, God fixes a fix to fix us. But if we try to fix the fix that God fixed to fix us, God has to fix another fix to fix us. Now, I want to rearrange that. I don't think God fixes a fix. I don't think he makes us sick and makes us have car wrecks and things like that. But I tell you what, we fix a lot of fixes for ourselves. You know what I'm saying? And then we get mad about it like it's somebody else or something happens to our attitude. And then we, we get in a fix and God, God works with that fix and he fixes it and gets everything out. He wants us to get everything out of it and learn everything that he possibly can. So we fix a fix that fi- to fix us. And God works with us, and then we try to change it, and then we fix another fix, and God's still working with us so that we can, get, he, we can really get fixed. You know what I mean by fixed? We can get free. We can walk in liberty. We can walk in joy. We can be happy. We can wake up in the morning with a song on our heart. We can, we can begin. Yeah, that's what I love about the Lord. But that's number one. Number two is a provision. There's a provision for returning. It's it's interesting, the word that he uses, it says uh, return. Look at verse 12. 
return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. You see, I believe people can be, can be held a prisoner of hope because hope, hope is an expectation of a promise being fulfilled. That God speaks, hopes and speaks hope into our lives. And I think hope is somewhat innate in, in a human being. We want to we hope in good. But there is a difference in just the hope in good and the, and the hope that God speaks into our heart as a promise. Something that we believers know that this is, this is part of our calling in, our, in life. This is what God is wanting us to accomplish. Whether it's to raise up a, a million dollar business or whether it's to whether it's to be in the, in the military or whether it's to be in, I don't know, whatever else that God might have you to do or, or that you want to be, one of the greatest callings is to be a volunteer at Gateway Church. You believe that? And I wasn't paid to say that. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm just, listen, God wants us to be free and have freedom through having a promise from him. Because a promise, which turns into faith, will structure our lives. Listen to me. Does your life feel a little out of order? Hear from God. This is what I'm about. This is what wakes me up every morning. It knocks me out of bed. It churns my butter. Every time I think about it, I'm into it. This is what I want. It's that, it's that vision. We get that vision in our, in our life. It structures it. We begin to let our, wife, our lives form around that promise of God. And not only that, it, it makes us feel better. Because we, as a result of it, we feel good about ourselves and we feel good about what God is doing because we know that we're following him and we're watching him work on every, in every corner, bringing things together. And we can say, this is God, this is God, look at God, look what he's doing. Because God has planted a promise on the inside of us. But when's this going to happen? We don't know. Look at Abraham. Abraham was promised someone that would uh, be his seed. How long did he wait? He waited 25 years, but he had a promise. Yeah, but he was 100 years old, 99 years old. She was 90. Do what? And we're going to have a child now? You're kidding me. No, it was a promise from God. Look with me in, in, in Romans chapter 4. Uh, somewhere in Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Romans 4, 18. This is Abraham, who contrary to hope, in hope, believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own hundred-year-old body, already dead since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of 90-year-old Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had been promised, he was also able to perform. Do you notice that? But what he had been promised, he was able to perform. 
because he believed the promise of the Lord that was given to him, and he ordered his life accordingly. And in the same way, we find that Joseph, at least 15 years, maybe longer, had two dreams, and those two dreams went into his heart as, as a hope. You see, hope, without hope, we're, we wander. Without hope, we have no vision. Without no vision, we perish. We have to have hope. It is imperative that we have hope in our lives and that hope that comes from God. And here is Joseph, goes to the pit. Then he goes to jail. You know what his dream was? That his brothers would fall down before him. And his second dream was that his brothers and his mother and his dad would fall down before him. It really set them off when he went and told them that dream back when he was younger. But now then, he's gone, and his dad thinks he's dead, and he's in Egypt, and he interprets a dream for Pharaoh, and Pharaoh makes him, puts him in a place of authority second only to Pharaoh himself, from the prison to being in authority over all of Egypt. His word was as good as Pharaoh's word, and his, and his mom and his dad and his brothers all ended up there because of the famine that was in the land. And guess what they all did? They bowed down to him. And he saw the dream fulfilled. Brothers and sisters, it may take a while, but God is able to do what he said he would do, and he's spoken it into your heart, and he's going to accomplish it. You say, yeah, but it's taking a long time. Hold on. Return. That means they once were in hope. Now they weren't. But where did they get it? Return to what? They kept the hope alive in the stronghold. Now, what in the world is a stronghold? Not the stronghold that we, we think of in war, spiritual warfare. I've got, you've got a stronghold in your life. That's not, no, God is the stronghold. Even when David was in trouble, David would lift his, lift his hands to the Lord and he strengthened himself in a problem. He went to the Lord. You can read Psalms 18. In Psalms 18, the scripture says that he, the Lord, is our stronghold, our mighty tower in time of need. And we can run into that tower and be safe. And what Pastor Robert has been teaching for the last several weeks, hearing God, getting alone with God, and hearing him, that is, the, that is the stronghold tower that we run into, that we hear his voice, that we worship him, that we read the word of God, that we hear from him, and that we walk in obedience to what we're hearing from him. And God says, hey, you do that, and I will keep the hope alive, and I'll bring the hope up to pass at the right time that it's supposed to be brought to pass. Y'all hear it? You really hear that? There's an interesting thing in Norway, or not in Norway, the Netherlands. In the Netherlands, um, they have a domino, domino day. I love dominoes. You like, anyone like play dominoes? I like dominoes. It's just table game we love to have. But this is a contest, world contest, for how many dominoes you can knock over by lining them up like this and tip over one domino like that. 
And, and this, this happened, this happened and made the world record November 2009 in the Netherlands. Guess how many dominoes? 4,461,000, let me make sure I'm right about that, 4,491,863 dominoes. Can you imagine what that 63rd domino was like? It's sitting out there in the back. Is it going to get to me? Is it going to get to me? It's going to get to me. Pow! Knocks over. But guess what? It all started with one domino. You know what our life starts with? What were we created to be in communion with God? He made Adam and Eve to fellowship with them. The one domino in our life that will give and sustain hope in us is that one domino, communion with God, talking to Him, being friends to the Lord, hearing His voice, worshiping Him. And when we do, Everything else, everything else begins to fall in order. You got it? Fall in order. Oh, it's so exciting to me. Number, number three and the last point, the promise of restoration. You notice what he says there. He said, even today, even today where you are, even today with whatever you've got going on, even today, as messed up as things may seem for you, even today, he said, I declare that I will restore double to you. Now, the word double has, has to do there, I'd say first of all, with the firstborn getting double inheritance. But also in Exodus chapter 22, we find in verse 4, we find another reference. It says there that if a man who has a sheep or a lamb, a goat, and a thief comes and picks it up, and that thief is caught red-handed. And no, the Bible doesn't say red-handed. If, if, if he's caught with that animal in the, his hand, he has to restore double. That, we do call that red-handed, don't we? If you've got a lawnmower and you're out mowing your lawn, lawn and you get hot and thirsty and you cut it off a minute, run in the house, get a drink of water, you walk back out there, the lawnmower's gone, you look down the road, he's just turning the corner pushing your lawnmower. If, if we were going by Exodus 22, we run, catch him, he's got to buy you two brand new Sears and Roebuck or Wards or whatever lawnmower. Two brand new ones just like it. And God is saying, I, I'm telling you something, the devil has been caught red-handed. And he's been trying to steal things from you that he has no right to do. And that when we line up that one domino, guess what? God says, I will restore double. I'll take my own time according to, to what your calling is. But in time, I will fulfill the hope that I have put in your life. Don't lose hope because, and don't let the devil steal anything from you because I will cause him to return to you double what he's stolen. Double what he has stolen. Father, I thank you so much for this beautiful, beautiful body. I thank you, Lord, for their love for you. 
they're out here this day. Oh, hallelujah. Because they love you. I pray, Father, that if there's anyone here who needs hope restored, that they'll respond to it. Draw them, Lord. Draw them. In just a few minutes, well, right now, I'm going to ask you to stand. Just stand where you are. I'm going to ask the, the ministry team would come to the front. And then I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to finish my prayer. I'm going to finish my prayer. And when I finish my prayer, please, if God is dealing with you, come forward. If you want hope restored, come forward. If you're having financial problems, marriage problems, whatever, you don't have to be a member of Gateway to come down here. Just come on down. When I get through praying, I say amen, step out from where you are and come down because I guarantee you, God will make them work a miracle for you today. Father, I thank you that you are right now dealing with people and drawing people and putting faith into people's hearts that when they respond to you, that you will meet them, that this will not be an empty exercise, but they will leave here different than they walked in. And I ask you, Lord, to speak to people's heart. Let them, let them be bold enough and say, I need someone to pray for me and that they step out for prayer. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.